thinking about the <coughs> excuse me have to bear with me got a little cough still the uh <coughs> hymn that was just sung, Thy Strength Indeed is Small, sang that hymn for years, and, you know, since you began to realize that truth, I uh, didn't realize how small it was until of recent, and I'll be honest with you, I for no reason other than my own misunderstanding I had thought I would be better by now. I didn't think I'd have an arm by now. I thought I would be better by now. I'm not. And We were talking with someone the other day. And sometimes people see you on a good day. And they'll say, oh, he's doing real good. And I was at that day. And the next day I'm not doing as good. Or another day. And then there's sometimes, you know, you know, maybe folks have uh, something that happens in their lifetime. Uh, incident occurs. Maybe they lose a loved one or something. And, you know, we pick an arbitrary time. You know, work says you get three days. Or if it's a spouse, you get maybe, you, depending on how strong a union you got, you get five days. And you're supposed to be all over it by then and you're supposed to be able to come back to work you're supposed to be all better and then you're not and people go well when are they going to get over it well maybe never and after so so much time goes by you kind of forget about them maybe you don't pray for them like you should maybe you think well they should be over it by now well, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't, but they're not. So, I'm guilty of it, maybe you're not. But I thought, I don't know why, but I thought in August I'd be able to do some things. I am not able to do what I thought I would be. But, uh... You continue to pray for us. We know that you do. I know that I'm only able to do what I am through your prayers and the grace of God. I have a pain management appointment tomorrow morning. And Brother Bourne called me yesterday evening. And he said <clears throat> when he visited back in June, I think it was, he said, you told me that your arm, my right arm, felt like it was in a vice. I said, well, it doesn't feel that way anymore. I said, it feels like I'm being electrocuted and my fingertips are on fire. Whether that's an improvement, I don't know. 
but it doesn't feel like it's in a vise. I had forgotten about that. So I said, thanks for reminding me. Um, but I also have a driver's test tomorrow. And what they'll do is they'll bring out, the way I understand it, they're going to bring out a regular vehicle, no adaptations, and they'll see what adaptions I need. And so I have that tomorrow. I think it's in the afternoon. So you pray for us uh, with those things. All right. Titus chapter 1 verse 9. I want to read that. Our subject this morning is, we're over here now, the second paragraph that we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, and it goes to sustain uh, the church's discipline and doctrines. That's where we're at. We're in the second paragraph. <clears throat> so Titus 1 and verse 9. It says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. This is the work of a bishop, a pastor, an elder. And so this is what's to be done. This is what we're to do as a uh, part of our church covenant as well. We've agreed to sustain the church's discipline and its doctrine. You remember the word sustain means to uphold or to maintain, to keep. And so that's what we even in, are engaged to do. And you know what engaged means? It means we're active in. If you're not active in it, and you know this as well, if we're not active in it, you know what happens to it? It falls apart. It's kind of like our own homes. You know, the Bible refers to the church as a house, and uh, the house of God. It, what happens to your homes if you're not actively engaged in maintaining them? Well, they fall apart. Right. You know, a lot of times people, they'll see something on their house, and, and they'll get right after it, you know? Oh, there's a little crack in, in this, and they'll call some repairman or, or this, that, or the other. And they get right after it. And that's well and good. Well, the same thing with the Lord's church. Same thing with her doctrines. We ought to be more concerned about her uh, discipline and doctrines than we are about the brick and mortar. At minimum, at least as concerned about her discipline, discipline and doctrines as we are about her brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. So we are to sustain the discipline in our church. We are to cause members to render strict obedience to God's word. And we are to inflict punishment for disobedience. It's interesting that some in the church membership 
they'll, they're all for that in their own homes, but not in the house of God. Yeah. They want strict obedience to their word in their own homes, and when their own words are not obeyed, they will inflict punishment for disobedience. But they don't care if God's word is disobeyed, and they won't inflict punishment if God's word is disobeyed. Now I want you to look, if you would, in the Bible, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're all familiar with this passage of Scripture. Beginning at verse 15. Here we have, the Bible speaks of personal offenses. There are different ways of discipline that is mentioned in the Word of God. There's different uh, offenses and there's different uh, discipline that is brought about based on those things. Here we find there's a personal offenses. So this is when one brother offends another brother. The Bible tells us, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. So that's what the scripture says. So that's a personal offense. Now, here you have where there's a personal offense between two brethren and it doesn't get resolved between the two brethren, does it? Or it does get resolved. If it gets resolved, it's over with. And then if it doesn't, then he takes witnesses. If it gets resolved, it's over with. If it doesn't, then it comes before the church. Now the church has to act as judge. Because we're not, the Bible strictly says that you're not supposed to go to law between two brethren. Not supposed to go to law between two brethren. It's a shame. It's an absolute shame that two brethren take things to unbelievers to have things judged between them. It's a shame that a brother and sister in Christ take things before unbelievers to have things judged between them. That includes a husband and a wife. That's what happens in divorce proceedings, isn't it? That's what happens when a brother in Christ who's married to a sister in Christ and they get divorced and they go to a court and they have an unbeliever, a judge, judge between them and issue a divorce. The Bible says that's 
not to be done. Yet it's done all the time and churches accept it all over the place. These are personal offenses. I remember my grandfather, he was called to some people's houses and I only know it was on one of his tapes and he said he, he was there and he said, now let's get down on our knees as a husband and wife and let's pray that the Lord will help us to forgive one another. And he got down on his knees to pray and he bowed his head and he said he looked up and he's the only one down on his knees. It's a shame that it'd have to be brought into the church in the first place. But sometimes it happens. But you know it's also a shame. Let's say there's an issue between myself and, and Brother Crowder and, and, and I've offended him and it's brought before the church and the church <coughs> says, Brother Hilly, you were wrong. And I said, no, I wasn't. And the church says, oh, yes, you were. And, and the church then votes... You know, says, no, you were wrong, and disciplines me. And then, you know, Brother Frankie, he's all coming over and acting all chummy to me. He's disregarding the church's authority. Because the Bible says that I'm supposed to be as a heathen and a publican. See, that's a problem, isn't it? Because the church has settled the matter that I'm at fault. And, and, and it says, well, he's at fault and he's a heathen and a publican. And now you're over here and you're being best buds with him. You're not supposed to have anything to do with him. You're to mark him and, and avoid him. Treat him as a heathen and a publican. That that he'll be, you know, almost ostracized, that he'll repent and then be received in the church fellowship, and then you can be buddy buddy with him. So that's a personal offense. Look over in Romans sixteen. Romans chapter 16. And notice if you would here, verse 17. Romans 16, verse 17. Here we've got some doctrinal offenses. Now we're looking at sustaining discipline in our church. And I'll say this. The word discipline and the word disciple 
come all from the same root. If, and, and you know, if you're a disciple of Christ, means you're a follower of Christ. And if we'd follow Christ, then we, and if we would discipline ourselves after Christ, we wouldn't need to be disciplined by the church. You know? And there's a lot of times, you know, you remember growing up, and I'm sure it was the same in a lot of your households, you know, there were things that your friends were allowed to do that you were not allowed to do. Well, that's just the way it was. Their parents would let them do things, and your parents did not let you do those things. My friends were able to do things on Saturday night that I was not allowed to do any, any night of the week. But we weren't allowed to do things Saturday night because the next day was church day. It was the Lord's day. And there are things that those who do not worship the Lord can do that those of us who do worship the Lord are not permitted to do. It's called sanctification. We are set apart unto the Lord. Israel was set apart unto the Lord and they couldn't live like all the other kingdoms of the world. And Baptists are set apart unto the Lord. True Baptists are. Romans 16 verse 17, Paul writing, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Now, I want you to understand this. He's not talking about all the shibboleths, every jot and every tittle, every little, every little teeny tiny pronunciation of every Bible word you know. There is. He further states in verse 18, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. I want you to understand that there are folks who love the Lord, who serve the Lord Jesus Christ, who are uh, in the Lord's kind of a church, who don't believe every jot and tittle that you and I believe. And maybe even in this same room. We might not believe if I said, turn to this verse, I said, tell me what this verse says. We might not all say it says the same thing. But he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching, which ye have learned, and avoid them. Avoid them. Now, the last time I learned what the word avoid means, it still means that.
And there's a lot of people today who aren't avoiding them. That's why we're seeing so many people today running over to these Reformed Baptists, they call them, because they're not avoiding them. They're getting in with them. That's the opposite of avoiding. They're getting up next to them. They preach contrary to what we've been taught. We spent over a year preaching on our Baptist heritage, the trail of blood, our Baptist history, that is contrary to what Reformed Baptists preach. Contrary to it. They are to be marked and avoided. Folks will say, well, they believe in the doctrines of grace. Well, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. There's some who don't believe the doctrines of grace, but they believe in the trail of blood. Again, even a one-eyed squirrel finds a nut every now and again. You understand my point? These are doctrinal offenses. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's why we seek to guard this pulpit. That's why we seek to guard men who we will support, who we will send offerings to. That's why we seek to guard... uh, um, who we will, uh, as we said, have in the pulpit. And if there's been some that we've had in the pulpit, it's not been on purpose. It's not been for a lack of uh, trying to figure it out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words or uh, wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine or teaching which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, we see here that Paul writes concerning any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words or sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some men, they're so subtle. They're so subtle. Why the Bible tells us that, that Satan's able to transform himself even into an angel of light, isn't he? I mean, you remember what Satan said to, to Eve in the garden. Oh, he shall not surely die. 
God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because he knows you'll be just like him. Remember what he said to Jesus in the, in the Mount of Temptation? He quoted scripture to him verbatim. Verbatim. Hear a lot of people on TV quote scriptures. It's amazing. Look over in Titus 3. Book of Titus, chapter 3. Again, doctrinal offenses. Titus chapter 3, verse 10. I don't know if any of you have heard of the, um, what's the name of it now? I just watched a documentary on it. Big, big into the so-called Christian music. Maybe I'll think of it. Titus 3 verse 10. It says here, A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject. Now, a heretic is not someone who doesn't believe what you believe. That's not the definition of a heretic. Okay? If that's your definition of heretic, you need to look up the definition of that word. Verse 11, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. So these are doctrinal offenses. I want you to understand something. When you're first saved, do you remember what you knew? Whereas I was blind, now I can see. That's it, right? So, you might get labeled when you're first saved as being having a lot of doctrinal offenses. Right? You probably don't. You're just ignorant. You're like that fellow who the Lord... He gave sight to him and he said, I see men as trees walking. And then the Lord, you know, dealt with his eyesight again and then he he saw all things clearly. Okay? Some people have to be taught. So be careful and have some discernment about who you're labeling as having doctrinally, uh, uh, being doctrinally offensive. Maybe they're ignorant. Maybe they've sat under some false teaching. Maybe they need an Aquila and a Priscilla to come along to them and to teach them the way of God more thoroughly and more perfectly. Maybe they need you to disciple them. 
maybe you've crossed their path for that purpose. Maybe they're ignorant. Maybe they're not doctrinally offensive. Maybe they're just ignorant. Maybe they're a newborn babe in Christ. Alright, another one is moral and disorderly offenses. Look over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. I want to read several verses here. <clears throat> I think we know how we ought to behave. And with every passing year, Another generation arises who doesn't know how to behave. Doesn't know how to conduct themselves. Think about all the things that are going on in 2023 that 50 years ago would not be permitted. Some of you got grandkids. Think about some of the articles of clothing they wear to the grocery store that wouldn't be allowed at the pool 50 years ago or their generation. Just the way it is, right? Just the way it is. Where we live at today. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tra tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly, disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, that is authority, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word... By this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. So here he's dealing with some moral and disorderly offenses. Look over, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
beginning at verse 1. Here Paul deals with the subject <coughs> of fornication. And this is really deals with anything of the works of the flesh. And we know what the works of the flesh are. He writes about those in Galatians 5. Don't get tunnel vision. Don't think this only pertains to fornication. This pertains to the works of the flesh. This would be true about adultery, drunkenness, uh, uh, stealing, all of those that are mentioned there. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1. He said, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife, and ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present, concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So here are moral and disorderly offenses. Now, I want you to notice about these doctrinal offenses and moral and disorderly offenses. A lot of people say, well, we got to take two brethren and we got to go talk to them about these things. Did you read any of that? Nope. That's only with the personal offenses, isn't it? Amen. <clears throat> we find that a brother in the church is committing fornication. It's well known. It's commonly reported. Why do we got to go talk to him? If Brother Crowder witnesses a brother in the church going into a liquor store and buying liquor, and he comes and tells me, I saw Brother So-and-so going and buying liquor. Great, bring it up on Sunday. Grandpa Hilly had a church member say, I saw a church member, another church member go in. He said, 
Okay, he says, will you bring it up on Sunday? I'm not bringing it up. He told Gramps, says, you bring it up. Gramps said, I didn't see him go in. That'd be hearsay. You got to bring it up. You know, why don't we go take two men and ask him if he did it? We don't need to. You saw him go in there. We had a church member in Kansas. We disciplined him for non-attendance. Next week, his name was in the paper. He took first place at the Texas Hold'em tournament for the Catholic Church's charity. We'd had to discipline him anyways. Isn't that something? We had one young lady who she decided to commit fornication and it was found out and her dad found out and had to bring it up before the church and she didn't want to repent and another member of the church voted not to discipline her and so her dad ended up voting not to discipline her. After he brought her up on charges. It was a mess. So I had to had to I said, let's throw out this thing because I don't think you can, you know, make a motion and then vote no. It just seems like a double minded man's unstable in all his ways. It was a mess. The church is to exercise wholesome discipline over its members. And the reason behind that discipline is love. Love for God, love for His Word, and love for that member. You know why you discipline your children? Because you love them. You know why you discipline church members? Because you love them. What do your kids say when you discipline? Oh, you don't love me. Now, if I didn't discipline you, I wouldn't love you. We sustain our church by standing firmly behind our church and pastor when disciplinary action is necessary. Church squabbles, church fights, never happen when the authority of the Word of God is given heed to. It's when personal feelings are involved. Every time. 
The church has a duty as Christ is our head, we are his body, to perform church discipline when a member who has committed any of these offenses must be dealt with. We are to be more concerned with the purity of the body of Christ than anything. People say, well, if we discipline them, then they won't come back. That's between them and the Lord. It really is. I've seen folks who were disciplined come back after over 50 years. And you know what they said? Should have came back sooner. That's exactly right. They should have came back sooner. In fact, one of them said, I should have never let the church discipline me. I should have repented right away. And they ought to have meaningful repentance. I've seen shows put on. I've seen shows put on. And I've seen pastors and I've seen churches with enough spiritual fortitude to say we are not accepting this kind of repentance. We're not accepting it. It's a show and a sham. We won't, we won't accept it. Now I want to note secondly and briefly we need to sustain the doctrines of our church. We have a lot of doctrines, don't we? In fact, it's the whole Word of God. We use our articles of faith. Somebody once asked me, they said, <clears throat> well, what are the doctrines we ought to really, you know, stand for, we ought to really hang our hats on? I said, all of them. But I said, I said, you know, as a church, you have, I think they had like, 28 or 35 articles of faith that you have agreed upon that these are these that we have selected that this is what we believe and I said these are what you've used these are ones that you asked questions about when you inquired about a pastor and I said your, your ministerial questionnaire and things of that nature The word doctrine means teachings. And doctrine is very important. One fella, he thought that the only doctrine there was were the five points of so-called Calvinism. That's a shame. He really missed out on a whole lot of good teaching. Look over, if you would, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. And then I want to read a passage in 2 Timothy. 
First Timothy 4, verse 12, it says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, or in lifestyle, in charity, or in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Those are some very difficult things to be an example of, isn't it? He said, verse 13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give, it, give, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Second Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. <clears throat> it says... All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Churches should practice the teachings of the word of God as a rule of faith and doctrine. Churches are to be distinguished by their practice and teachings according to the word of God. That's how we trace the Lord's churches down through history is by their practice and teachings. We are not to be carried by every wind of doctrine as so many are. I remember now the name of that church. It's out of Australia, that Hillsong, they're called. It's years ago they started, and they're real big into music. Music is huge now in, in so-called churches and in worship. And it's... Uh, they're assembly of God. They're Pentecostal is what they are. Most people don't realize they're Pentecostal. But the guy who started this, the original guy, he's involved in pedophile. He was a pedophile. And most people are ignorant of all of these things. They have no idea about their doctrine, their discipline, none of it. And they don't care. They want to feel something. They want to go there, oh, I feel this, oh, I feel that. Oh, when I go there, I just feel. Sad. So I, somebody once said, they said, well, I just don't feel the presence of the Lord. And I said, well, what's the Bible say that feels like? I don't know. We better find out. 
Anyways, back to what I was saying here. I apologize. Jesus rebuked those who followed the doctrines of men. How do we sustain doctrine? You have to know it. How do you know it? Well, somebody teaches it to you. Then you learn it. You know one of the best ways to know if you know something? Teach it to somebody else. When you teach something to somebody else, you'll find out how well you know it. You'll find out how well you know it. If we never believe something, we'll never practice it. You'll practice what you believe. If you don't believe the Word of God, you won't practice it. One of the things I always found wonderful in the Word of God was it said that they had taken knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They had taken knowledge that they had been with Jesus. Well, how'd they do that? Well, they, they were disciplined after Christ and they had the same doctrines and they taught the same doctrines and they practiced the same doctrines. I hope folks will say the same thing about us. They'll take knowledge we had been with Jesus. So I pray the Lord will bless His Word. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer.